0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all or situations.
1: Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each of our upcoming episodes, please subscribe to our RSS feed, either on iTunes or on the radio page of our site, which is creatingafamily.org slash radio. Um, or if you have any of the podcast directories that you typically use to access podcasts, uh, we'll have our show on there, so just subscribe to us there. Today's show will be about how mental and physical health issues in pre-adoptive or prospective adoptive parents are treated in adoption. I'm Dawn Davenport, the Director of Creating a Family, a nonprofit providing education, resources, and support for both adoption and infertility. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medications through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, visit heartbeatprogram.com, or, of course, you can talk to either your oncologist or your reproductive endocrinologist to get information about the Heartbeat Program. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either infertility or adoption, and I blog three times a week. A recent, one, a recent blog that you might enjoy is called Throwing Pebbles at Adoption, and it's about talking with kids about their adoption, and specifically, how to talk with kids who don't show much interest or ask many questions. I'd love to have you join us. Uh, and in the discussion, we were having a good discussion in the comments section, so just uh, go to that blog, creatingafamily.org slash blog, uh, and uh, join them in, in on the discussion. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of all of our gold sponsors, including Children's Connection, Inc. They're an adoption agency with offices literally throughout all of Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout Texas. We also have the Independent Adoption Centers, whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in 49 of the 50 states, and they are fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, Connecticut, and New York. And we also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions with offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina. They have adoption programs throughout the world, and they have a domestic infant adoption program, and they have their Snowflakes embryo donation, embryo adoption programs. And we also, uh, as you just heard, Creating a Family is a nonprofit, And one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. One of the ways you can help us is by supporting those who support us. Now, you've just heard about our gold sponsors, but we also have other sponsors. Uh, so if you are looking for an adoption agency, an adoption attorney, if you're looking for an adoption therapist, please make your first stop the Creating a Family database, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by locations, types of adoption, years in operation, just a whole host of criteria that we think are important when choosing. And by using these databases, you support those who support us, and we thank you. As I mentioned, today's show will be on talking about how mental and physical health issues are handled in adoption, uh, and I should say mental and physical health issues of prospective adoptive parents. Our guests are Anne Rickson. She is the Executive Director of the Independent Adoption Center. She is a social worker with 25 years' experience in this field, and she is also an adoptive mom. We have with us Rhonda Jarema. She is... A, the Director of Family Support Services at Nightlight Christian Adoption. She has worked as a social worker and advocate in the fields of international adoption and mental health for over 30 years, and she's also an adoptive mom. We have Jacqueline Smith. She is the Lead Adoption Coordinator at Children's Connection, Inc., that is, a, uh, which is a domestic adoption agency. She has a Master's of Education in Counselor Education. And last but not least, we have Rebecca Hackworth. She is the Director of Social Services at Dillon International with over 30 years' experience in international adoption, and she is also an adoptive mom. Welcome, Jacqueline, Rebecca, Rhonda, and Anne to Creating a Family.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I have mentioned pre-show, this has been a hard show to kind of organize because we have all types of adoption and all, uh, a lot of different types of, of mental and uh, physical uh, issues that adoptive parents may present with. So I think the way we're going to do it is, is organize the show first by talking about mental health issues in and and adoptive parents and how that might affect their chances of adoption. Uh, and then we're going to move to physical health issues uh, and then we'll we'll talk about at the end who really sh- probably should not consider adopting. Um, and so we're going to start with, we got a lot of questions, and, and I don't think this probably surprises any of you guys. We received a lot of questions on antidepressant use. Um, I apologize to the people who sent questions, and, and some of them were, were really long and detailed, and, and I do appreciate that. However, I, I really thought it was best if we just selected one, and I did, and this one is from Rhea. She says, I have been on antidepressants for eight years. We are now ready to start the process of adoption. Should I talk with my doctor about getting off of that? We don't know what type of adoption we are going for. In fact, in fact, we are currently listening each night after dinner to a Creating a Family Show to help us figure this out. So thank you for this resource. My antidepressant use may influence which type of adoption we choose. I'd love to hear your guests talk about how my past use will affect our chances to adopt. Also what effect will it have if I successfully get off of them I would only do this with my doctor's support All right let's start with domestic adoption and uh and I'm going to start with you and then uh, and then Jacqueline I'd like for you to 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 because uh domestic adoption is is in both of your wheelhouses so let's start with that How does antidepressant use affect someone's chances in domestic adoption, Anne?
3: Okay, it has, it has no impact. It virtually has no impact at all. Um, we're actually usually very happy to hear that um, families have sought treatment for a problem. Um, we will ask them for a note from their doctor or therapist. Um, but otherwise, in general, we really support it. I would really, if her doctor does not want her to get off the antidepressants, I would discourage her from doing that um, because there's no reason that antidepressant use should have any impact, especially if it's controlling um, her depression. That's what we want the antidepressants to do, and we want people to take antidepressants if that's if it's having that
1: impact. Uh, Jacqueline let me but, but is it, it, uh, uh domestic adoption now is predominantly birth mother choice. Uh so uh, Jacqueline if you'll address this and then Ann, I'd like to hear your perspective. How does uh the do you need to include in your adoptive parent profile uh that you are on antidepressants? Um I would assume the birth mothers uh would know of this and, and does it affect Uh, your chances. Do birth mothers choose adoptive parents who are on antidepressants? Jacqueline, you take the first stab at that.
0: Um, I definitely don't think that a family would have to include that in a profile book. It um, might be something that we need to discuss with the birth mother when she is in in the process of selecting the family but I don't know that it's something they need to uh, put in the profile book. What we look at beforehand is that they are fit to parent and that's part of the determination we make. And so if they are able to submit the, the doctor statements, and, and I absolutely agree with Anne and all the things she said, the, the things that you need to submit to to make sure you are fit to parent, then that's part of the judgment we make. If we have determined that you are fit to parent and that those antidepressants and whatever else is, is not causing a problem, and then the birth mother should be okay with that. It might be something she needs to know at some point. But I don't think it's something that needs to be outright in the profile book. Anne, do you have anything
1: to go ahead, Anne?
0: Yeah, this is Anne, and I do. um, I agree completely
3: with Jacqueline. Um, That is exactly the way that we we handle it. We would let the birth mother the the birth mother would know the information, but not in the profile. But we've never had a birth mother actually have any problem with somebody being on antidepressants.
1: You talk about needing a, a a doctor. Uh, some some type of of, of doctor's note uh, that's not the right word but the where uh, indicating that uh, I would assume that it your uh, depression is controlled and that you are fit to parent and what type of doctor uh, would need to uh, would it be a medical doctor would it be your psychologist would it be whoever is the prescribing doctor how does that work
3: well it depends. Um... For it depends upon who is who's providing the primary treatment. For example, sometimes a psychiatrist can be um you know, uh prescribing the drugs, but really they have um, more contact with their therapist. So in that case we'd want the note from the therapist. Um that they were stable, you know, if the depression was under control, um, if that if assuming that that's what what the medication is being um prescribed for and so forth. So It would really depend. It's on an individual um, basis, but we do need a licensed professional to be giving us the note. So it would need to be like a licensed um, social worker, a licensed um, psychologist, an MD, of course.
1: Okay, any any of those would, whoever is the prescribing or whoever is the treating the primary treating physician for the the depression would be the one. Exactly. Okay, and uh, the. Adoption, how as an adoption agency do you determine, Jacqueline, you had said that 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 it is the it is the agency's responsibility to determine if you are fit to be a parent. From an agency's perspective, how do you again this is domestic adoption, how do you determine whether someone who has had depression in the past or is currently depressed, uh, is fit to be a parent?
0: We look at uh, all the paperwork that they have to turn in, the interview we do for the home study, and then their final home study. So in the initial stages when we're collecting paperwork, part of what they're going to be turning in is the same things Ann mentioned. Um, if they're working with a counselor or a psychiatrist or a counselor um, of any sort, a psychologist, a doctor, for any of their treatment issues, we would need letters from them on top of references and from family and friends and community members as well. So all of that combined plus an, in- an interview that one of our staff has with them regarding their home study where we could ask them in detail, you know, how the how has this how has been being on antidepressants um affected you in the past? How are you currently feeling with it? Is it something you're in the midst of or you feel like you have a good control over? All of that combined would help us determine whether they're fit to parent.
1: Okay. All right. Now let's turn to international adoption. And uh Rhonda and Rebecca Um, that's your areas of expertise. And when we talk about international adoption, I think it's uh, helpful to talk about specific countries, unless you feel, uh, maybe, actually, uh, we won't if you can make generalized statements, but I just find it awfully hard to make generalized statements when it comes to international adoption. Rhonda, how uh, of the countries Nightlight works with? How are is antidepressant use viewed, and both by the foreign country, by the U.S. government, and by the adoption agencies? Because all those things play in.
4: They do. They all have a factor and an impact on
1: this particular issue.
4: Um, the, The Hague regulations actually mandate that if a prospective parent has had any. Uh, issues, uh, medical or psychological or sociological, in the past, that those are addressed as part of the home study. And particularly when we're looking at um, my antidepressant medications or a history of seeing a uh, psychologist... Like, receiving psychiatric treatment for any sort of mental health issue, that would have to be part of the home study. And as part of the home study, the the agency and, and certainly Nightlight would ask the family to get supporting documentation that they are prepared and ready to parent and that their mental health issue would not impact their ability to parent. So okay. It really that would come in a general way. We we do have um, some countries that mandate the uh, psychological evaluation, and that's an evaluation by a psychologist who would interview the client and then give probably an MMPI, which is the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, and uh, they would give that. And, and that um that inventory actually evaluates whether the individual has any current psychopathology. So, in other words, that that client has some significant issues that would need to be dealt with before they could proceed with
1: adoption. Okay. Uh, Rebecca, are there any countries that you know of that outright prohibit uh, parents who are on antidepressants from adopting?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, we work in about 10 countries, and I'm not an expert on every one, but our China program in the past has had rules about recent use of anxiety or antidepressant medication uh, within the last two years prior to the family proceeding for adoption. And I think just as an overall uh, general comment, the Many of the countries we work with view mental health issues a little behind us in the sense that, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, these sorts of medications were a little suspicious in our country. Mm-hmm. And and we've learned that they're a good thing, like di- insulin is for a diabetic, uh, that they're a good thing for people. So we, uh, you know, I agree with everyone, we want people to have the best life that they can have and support that. But other countries are not always as accommodating regarding those issues. And um, so that is sometimes part of the selection process for families in picking a country is one that may or may not be more progressive in their thoughts about mental health medications.
1: All right. So you're saying that we that that it has to be disclosed. I think Rhonda, you said that was actually a part of the of the Hague requirements. How far back? Do people uh, have to go if they went through a period, uh, you know, 10 years ago where they were on Mm -hmm. antidepressants for three months uh, or for a year? Um, uh, Rhonda, do do they need to disclose that? Is that a requirement that that be disclosed when it's in the distant past?
4: Uh, actually, it does. Um, part of the international adoption requirements is that if there is anything in their past, even way back, uh, that they are required to disclose it. And so they are better off telling their home study provider about that history and then allowing that home study provider to determine exactly how that would be best presented in the home study.
1: Okay, so the best bet is to disclose but to disclose to your to whomever is conducting the homestead. Correct. Correct. Okay. Uh and 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 I do think that what Rebecca said uh that in many ways it's uh it it says if uh at least some of the countries have the belief that if you are on antidepressants you're nuts you're crazy you're something along those lines Right. which which is um i appreciate what rebecca said is it's important to remember that you know probably 30 40 years ago i don't even know what how many years ago but some x number of years ago here in the u.s we also had that belief mm-hmm. so it's a matter of of uh, you know that times have changed and and perhaps research and studies have indicated that, in fact, it can improve quality of life. Um, are there? Uh, and I'd like to hear both of you uh, because you uh, each you have uh, represent different countries in international adoption. And when I say both, I mean Rebecca and, and Rhonda. Um, are there exceptions made for families wanting to uh, uh, adopt a child with special needs? And Rebecca, I'll start with you.
2: <laughs> you know we have that discussion it seems like almost weekly in our social work (laughs) meeting because uh, I'm not sure why maybe uh, families with special challenges are drawn to children with special challenges I'm not sure but it seems that often the families that apply to adopt waiting children uh, often have some additional issues going on in their lives so um, we, but as a general rule, uh because of the challenges that can come with kids with challenges, we think we need the families in the very best um mental and physical health to to deal with some of those kids with for the challenges that they will bring to the family.
1: so the answer is at least from your agency, Dylan, the answer would be. Know that there aren't necessarily exceptions made for, uh, waiting children. They're, i I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I was trying. Yes, to.
2: Right. I appreciate that. Dawn. I think we do make ex- exceptions occasionally, but as an overall rule, uh, we want families with the most resources to deal with the, the special challenges of those kids. But we, it seems like we discuss a family every week that's just a little, something's a little different in their story and, and try to decide how critical that is Uh, to parenting the child. So it's a very common situation we face and discuss. Uh, So it's a good question.
1: Okay. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) It's good to know that our audience is representative of the norm, Uh, which, of course, I guess doesn't surprise me. Um, And so what about, uh, um, well, let's talk, uh, okay, we also will often when we talk about adoption, include embryo donation, and some people call that embryo adoption so uh and and two of of you have programs in uh even though and I will say uh that in fairness uh this it, neither of jacqueline nor Rhonda uh, Nightlight or children's connection both have uh, nightlight and children's connection both have embryo donation or embryo adoption programs. But neither of you are the specialist in that area. But, uh, would, Rhonda, would you feel comfortable answering if, uh, antidepressant use would exclude, and let's say in the mother, uh, or then, and then, and if, make a distinction if it matters if it's the mother or the father taking the antidepressant, would exclude someone from applying, uh, to, uh, or being accepted to, uh, have a, uh, use a donated embryo? which would be for our audience um would then be transferred to her uh and with the hope that it would implant and she would uh, become pregnant and carry the child to term. Go ahead, Rhonda.
4: Okay. Uh our embryo criteria for a parent um uh, embryo adoption criteria really is very similar to what we look at for both our domestic and international programs as well. We look for a family that is healthy. Um, if they have uh, some issues, uh, if, the, if the mother has been on antidepressants, that does not necessarily preclude her from proceeding with an embryo adoption Um What we're looking at is, is she stable now? Has she been stable over a period of time? And uh, does she have a support system in place uh, in case the adoption causes additional stressors to her which most adoptions do, of course, but but so we we would want to make sure that she has both the medical support as well as the social support to proceed. And um, certainly, being on an antidepressant would not preclude her
1: from adopting. And Jacqueline, anything to add to that?
0: No, I I completely agree. Uh, we would have the same very similar requirements for an embryo family that we would for a domestic family, as far as. The medical statements and again a, a good bill of health mentally and physically for a family and so that would not rule out a family from from being an embryo adopt parents.
1: Um, let me tell our audience uh, I think it was about not even a year ago I believe less uh, some time the, within the last year we did a creating a family show on handling depression in pregnancy we had the top researcher on this issue who had actually recently published a rather controversial piece, uh, a peer-reviewed article, I should say, piece, uh, as well as Ali Domar, who is, uh, again, one of the leading uh, researchers in mind-body and, um, and uh, psychology and, and infertility therapists. Talk about the issue of antidepressant use as well as the risks of depression in pregnancy. So if anyone is listening is considering that it was an excellent show um uh, i I learned a tremendous amount. there's a lot of research going on and a lot of uh, information and help, and you can find that uh, on our uh, radio show page. All right now we've talked about antidepressants which address one aspect of mental health, but there are a whole host of other mental health diagnoses as well as as medications and we did get um, questions on specifics of that anxiety disorder, bipolar um, 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 obsessive compulsive all of these, uh, so and then medications which I, I couldn't pronounce, quite frankly, even if I had tried. So, um, let's kind of move from the discussion. Is there a distinction? And now uh, we're going to go back to domestic. Is there a distinction? Is are antidepressants handled in a different way if uh, taken by pre-adoptive parents um, in domestic adoption uh, than would say anti-anxiety meds or meds uh, to help with uh, obsessive-compulsive? or uh, or bipolar at, is there any diagnosis that would rule somebody out or any medications that would rule somebody out and let's start with you again on domestic
3: um well it's a complicated question because hmm. yes and no um it really what we're really looking at is the functioning of the fa- of the um person and the family and can they parent so although there's certain um, mental health disorders that are quite serious, um, Some they can often be controlled by medication. For example, bipolar can be quite, quite serious. Um, it can have, you know, psychotic episodes and so forth. But for many people, it can be completely con- controlled with uh, medication and um if we have a doctor's opinion that is completely controlled and we're able to see the functioning of the family as you know that it's clearly completely controlled we will approve the home study on the other hand there's other things where um that can seem relatively minor but can end up having pretty severe consequences for the functioning of the um family for example um hoarding you know is sometimes associated with certain types of um obsessive compulsive disorders that's we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to approve a family um where one person has a hoarding problem um then there's why hoarding others.
1: over why hoarding over uh, uh, other issues i can
3: uh it's uh, always it would... a health issue
1: um oh, we walk okay.
3: into the homes it's the, you know the yeah, hoard, hoarding sense. invariably comes along with all sorts of um dirt and not being able to function within the home um mm-hmm. so that's okay. a particular that's a particular problem yeah, that makes- um but ocd can be controlled i mean i've seen people with completely controlled ocd where it's not interfering with the functioning of their in their lives or their families at all it's you know completely controlled mm-hmm. um, schizophrenia is a particularly um difficult one it can sometimes be controlled but um it often has um severe effects on how people can communicate with each other and they can have very severe impacts on um The functioning of a family. Uh, We have had people apply, and we have, you know, evaluated them. But so far, we haven't been able to approve any adoptive families where somebody had um, a
1: uh, diagnosis of schizophrenia. And and that Um, comes down to the fact that they're not able to, regardless of medication, they're not able to really function in, in a successful enough way that they could handle the stresses and the ups and the downs. And it wouldn't be fair to the child. Is that the basic? Right,
3: exa- exactly. That's exactly what's
1: going on. Okay. Jacqueline, can you add anything to this from uh, the domestic adoption perspective of of what type of disorders uh, would probably or likely preclude somebody and, and what type of disorders would, if controlled and handled, would work?
0: We're, we're kind of in the same boat. I mean, we're going to look at everything on a case-by-case basis. So it's not necessarily that one disorder over another will rule you out of adoption, but how are you handling that disorder? Are you compliant with a treatment plan? Are you compliant with your medication? Is it um, not negatively affecting your home life? Is the family unit as a whole healthy uh, with this diagnosis and the individual that has it? Uh, Is the family relationships good? It has to be a positive environment for a child to be raised in and a healthy environment for a child to be raised in. I definitely agree with Ann that the more severe diagnoses tend to be harder to get approved, but our agency in particular, we don't see a lot of severe mental health in families that are applying. I think somehow um, those families tend to, I guess, kind of weed themselves out naturally and don't necessarily get approved.
1: Yeah, I think think there is definitely um, some self-weeding, and I think some of the the questions we received today are uh, maybe a part of the self-weeding process. You are listening to Creating a Family. Our mission is to provide education and support for pre- and post-adoptive families. A resource you might find helpful is our extensive resources we have on blended families, combining children by birth and adoption. We have, I, I believe, the most extensive resources uh, available for families who are, are com- uh, mixing uh, uh, birth uh, children by both birth and adoption. We have videos. We have top ten fact sheets. We have uh, just a whole host of, of different uh, resources for you, including a number of podcasts that you can download and listen to. You can find uh, these resources by going to our website, creatingafamily.org. Go to the blue horizontal menu across the top. Hover hover over the word adoption. A drop-down menu appears. And if you will click on the word uh, resources and go to blended families, you will uh, have all of uh, you will see all of our resources that we have there. Now we've talked about other types of of mental health issues as they um, impact of uh, uh, prospective adopted parents as they impact domestic adoption. Rebecca, let me ask you about. Uh, how mental health, other mental health, anxiety, uh, obsessive-compulsive, uh, disorders such as that, bipolar, whatever. Um, should somebody who has a diagnosis such as that even consider applying for international adoption regardless of the country?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, great question. Uh, one of Dylan's policies is that we ask for a five-year stable mental health history. So if there is there is any medication or a recent diagnosis, we ask for a five-year stable history before families even apply. And while I agree with Rhonda that you'd sure want to disclose it in the home study process, I would encourage you to even <laughs> disclose it in the first application because that is where oftentimes... Um, it will be needed information to guide you to a particular or away from a particular inner country adoption program. Uh, while um, I agree with the others that, you know, it depends on the issue, there are some things that just provide enough limitations for families that they can't be fully present and available to to help children that, those things uh we have to consider and and take into consideration for the child's sake. It's it's a difficult position to be in and I I mm-hmm. we we often feel like we're playing god in people's lives by you know saying yes and no, yes and no when um you know we we really Pray and try and trust the Lord to guide us about those decisions too, because every family situation is different, their support system' different their uh you know you know have they done counseling to deal with that issue? Has that helped? you know have they been able to decrease medication or have they needed to increase medication? You know we want their uh history and their present situation to be stable for their sake, but depending on the issue. Uh, we may just decide that it's not worth the risk for a child, uh, as much as we want the best for that family as well.
1: And, and Rebecca, is that an agency policy, or is that a country policy, or is that both? <laughs>
2: the five-year stable history is a Dillon policy, okay. and we just we we started that because you know when we put our name on a family's file, we feel like we're not only representing that family in another country, but we're, you know, representing our organization. And we want other countries to be confident that we're screening people well and sending very well-qualified people to parent their children when we recommend a family for a placement.
1: Okay. And, Rhonda, have you seen other uh, countries? How do how do the countries that uh, Nightlight works in, uh, and, and that's quite a few, so how do they handle other mental health issues uh, outside of depression, since we've already talked about depression?
4: I think one of the things
1: that, that any of the
4: countries look at is the stability of the family. And as Rebecca and Jacqueline and Ann all noted, that that really is the, the critical piece. And so we we look at each family individually and want to make sure that the country that they're considering uh, will accept someone with uh, a mental health history. Um, there are certainly some issues that would make it very difficult for them to a- adopt. A-, a person with agoraphobia, where they're not able to leave their home, would not be able to adopt internationally because they would need to travel to
1: the country to meet their child mm-hmm. with
4: all the programs that
1: we have. Yeah, that would well, that yeah. That would make very good sense. Uh yeah. Um we have a question. It is too long to read, but it, it raises the issue of people who have gone through a lot in their background, have been in therapy, uh extensive therapy to work through a lot of issues. Um and um in this particular one there uh uh was a history of anti anxiety as well as anti use. Um but uh they have in many they have in many ways they have grown a lot. They've done a lot of counseling, they have grown a lot. And she says it uh, she she writes at the end, um It is hard, as we feel that we know about life's non-hallmark moments and have learned a lot about dealing with them effectively. Yet, having that history, even with the skills and insights it brings, seems likely to place us at a disadvantage. Um, I thought she said it. I thought that was a beautiful way to uh, to sum that up. Mm -hmm. So, I wanted to talk about uh, uh, ups and downs. You know, having lived a life that that uh, has presented a lot of challenges, and for people who have met those challenges um or are in the process of meeting them, maybe that would be the the better way and, and but but do have uh a history that would be reflective of uh a lot of counseling and things such as that let's go back to our the way we were approaching this um domestic uh and then moving to international so uh in the domestic realm jacqueline this time i 'll start with you uh the, the families that have a, uh, a long history of counseling and a history of, of having uh, some uh, some pretty hard hard things to deal with in their backgrounds.
0: I think again, I don't think that necessarily rules anyone out, and I think it shows great strength if you have met several challenges and had to overcome challenges, and you show a pattern of overcoming them and doing whatever's necessary to meet them and take care of them adoption is going to have a lot of struggles. There's going to be a lot of emotional struggles in adoption. So I think seeing that path of being able to overcome those things is a good indicator that you can handle the challenges of adoption and all of the things that go with that. So, again, I don't think that would rule you out. It would show that you can meet those challenges and
1: teach your your child to do the same. Yeah because further your kids can yeah, you know, you I would to... ag-
0: I would agree with um, Jacqueline it's it's generally
3: perceived as a strength um the very resilient people in that that situation you know the other thing that people worry about and I just want to address is things that they can't control like growing up with alcoholic parents mm-hmm. or um being abused as children or, or, because people often hear that you know everybody who uh, is a b- abuser was abused but it doesn't it, that actually is not Mm-hmm. Um, a good way of looking at it, because most people who are abused never abuse.
1: Right. There um, is a fear, though, that they have this hiding inside of them that's going to come erupt without, right, without exactly. control. Right.
3: Exactly. So they don't. What I want to say to them is that one, you don't need to feel shame about things that you know were. Pre- Uh, That are not your fault. And you can talk about those in a home study. Those aren't going to be held against you. But the social worker will ask you, you know, how have you dealt with that? How do you think you'll raise your children? Those sorts of things. But often again, those people can, uh, those sorts of um, backgrounds can be a real strength, a real source of resilience. And again, we look at the overall functioning of the family at that point to see um, what has what has gone on. But it's definitely not um, a reason that people can't adopt.
1: All right. Now moving to uh, international adoption, Rhonda, uh, how does? uh, And and I I appreciate Anne bringing up the uh, the issue of. Um, because this family wasn't specific, but um that some of the things are things that happened to us being raised by an alcoholic parent, being abused, neglected, or whatever um and some of the things that perhaps uh we did have some some um, some role in uh so in international adoption, how does uh baggage of this sort uh look and and would it preclude you from any country that you know of?
4: Again, I don't think it would necessarily preclude the client from adopting. I think the key is how have they dealt with it. Have they worked with a therapist to resolve this? Is the therapist willing to write a note stating that, that can be added to that client's portfolio, their dossier? that um so so that we're we're clear as an agency before we proceed with the client, as well as the country being clear, that that uh, family has resolved those past issues, is aware of them, and knows that if something comes up, they know to seek treatment, they, they know to um,
1: seek help uh does nightlife have a program in Colombia the country Colombia um uh, that is uh, she mentions that that is the country they're most uh, cur- they're currently most interested in uh, you- We
4: no oh, that- we do not have uh an
1: actual program in Colombia uh, uh Rebecca does Dylan?
2: yes we do
1: okay then then do you, uh, i don't want to spend a lot of time on just one specific country but uh, do you know how Colombia would uh, view somebody who has uh, has a history of, of, of therapy and counseling to overcome issues in their past? No,
2: I don't work directly with that program, Don. so I'd be hesitant to, to wager an answer there, but I know our staff person, uh, Denise Schoberg, would be happy to talk to the family more about that if they're
1: interested. Okay, okay well, we'll send them that way. But in general, Rebecca, as far as, uh, a history of having a counseling to help overcome mm-hmm. uh, uh problems in the past, how would that influence a person 's ability to adopt internationally in the countries that you are familiar with
2: right well i I sure agree with the other folks on this call that it's 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 family specific and it is a strength often case uh oftentimes you know the aCE study that was done you know talks about how some of those Adverse childhood experiences really have long-term effects on people's lives, and so you know we want to look at it carefully, case by case. But also, you know, there is the burden of explaining it to another country with the burden of full disclosure. You know, we uh, we want you know we don't want to hide anything in our reports, so we would want to make sure that the description would not in any way. Um, be a detriment from the sending country 's viewpoint about the family, you know I think the rates of you know alcoholic parents and and child abuse and neglect you know they could be pretty similar around the world, but uh, you know some countries talk about them some countries don 't and Um, So it's just, uh, again, country-specific, family-specific sort of issue. And I'm sorry that's a very general answer, but that's just where I think a lot of us keep going back to in trying to make a general statement about these kinds of issues.
1: Well, sometimes, yeah, we do have to. You're exactly right. Sometimes that's the best we can do. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect with me personally at dawn.davenport1, or you can connect with Creating a Family and at Creating a Family, all one word. On Facebook, you can reach out. to. There's three ways to reach out. One, dawn.davenport1. The second is you can like our Facebook page, which is Creating a Family. You can also join our very active and very supportive, I might add, Creating a Family Facebook support group. The easiest way to find both the page and the support group is to type in the words creating a family in the Facebook search box and both the page and the group pop up. You can like the page and join the group, and we would love to have you. Now we're going to move on now to talking about physical issues, and I'm going to start uh, with a question from Ellen. She says, "Uh, my husband is a paraplegic and would be a stay-at-home dad if we adopt. Will his being in a wheelchair hurt us? I also have a physical disability, which affects my walking. I am not in a wheelchair, but do use a cane at times. All right, uh, just in keeping with the order that we've been going in, uh, and let's start with domestic adoption. You've got a paraplegic dad uh, and a mom in a wheelchair. I mean, a mom that's not in a wheelchair, but the dad is, and the mom has some physical walking issues. Any thoughts on that? And, And you can extend it outwards. To other physical disabilities, disabilities, if you would like.
3: Okay, we actually we have placed uh, actually we placed two children with a family where the uh, father is a uh, stay-at-home um, and he is paraplegic. Um, the, oh, how funny! Um, Funny that
1: only in the sense that this is we got that exactly, yeah, I know that's Go the ahead. same,
3: but it's not the same family I know because the the mother the mother doesn't have any um d- disabilities yeah. um you know again, I hate to say that I keep going back to what we were saying is that it's very individual um, in this particular situation being that we place newborns, we would be concerned if neither um We'd have, to, we'd have to look at, at family functioning about, you know, would you be able to carry the baby and so forth. Um, so And that's what we did with the family that we placed with. You know, we went into the home and we um, evaluated, you know, would they be able to care for um, an infant? Um, and particularly would the paraplegic um, dad, who was the stay-at-home dad, be able to, um, on his own, be able to care for the infant? And we were um, able to find out that, in fact, he was um actually quite quite successfully um yeah. and um but I don't know I don't it might have been a completely different scenario if the um mom had also had d- disabilities you know we just sort of had to evaluate that we just we didn't have that particular situation
1: okay um, but uh, but physical disabilities uh, uh, again to paraphrase you would be uh, looked at on a case by case basis to see if they are able to parent and able to care for um, international uh, independent adoption center primarily places infants so mm-hmm. so care for an infant Jacqueline would there exactly. be anything different that uh, that you would see uh, for uh, something uh, in this case uh, a paraplegic uh, full time parent.
0: No, not at all. We would do the same. I look at the the individual case. Are they able to successfully parent that child and and do all that's necessary for an infant? And if that's the case, it would be no issue.
1: Uh, now, let me ask about things such as deafness and blindness. And would the would the the same criteria apply? Uh, the ability to parent, or I mean, deafness. It, it uh, you know would potentially. Uh, has the impact of of uh, how uh, the parent can interact with the world and things such as that? How would you view deafness and blindness? Um?
3: Well, the same way. Actually, we have um, uh, we've placed with many de- deaf families in particular. Um, in fact, in many ways, it's a strength because the children grow up um, bilingual. They they often will, will know how to um, sign uh, American Sign Language as well mm-hmm. as being able to speak. Um, but the same level of functioning, you know, that, um, you know, is the family healthy? Um, Are they able to, um, you know, provide a good um, environment for the child? Deafness in and of itself, though, is often a strength. It's not, not, um, you know, de facto a problem at all.
1: And, and Jacqueline, I mean, it seems to me that that there are plenty of blind parents and plenty of deaf parents out there. Is there, uh, in any way, would uh, would deafness or blindness, uh, how how would that be handled?
0: The, very similar. We discuss what their plan was. That would be the big thing, I think, to discuss with the family in this case, and to include in their home study is is how what's your plan for this. How are you going to meet the needs of the child in this case? And it might be something that needs to be discussed and um, uh, to have a plan set in place. And but definitely not a barrier to being an adoptive parent.
1: All right. Now, moving to international adoption, let's start with you, Rhonda. Um, kind of in general, physical disabilities—the ones we've mentioned specifically—or are a paraplegic or a, a wheel, a wheelchair bound. Full-time parent, um, another parent that walks with a cane, and then uh, other physical disabilities. The two that have been mentioned would be deafness and blindness. And if you need to break it out by country, that would be fine uh, because I do think countries differ on this. So, how is how are physical disabilities of the adoptive parents viewed with in, in, in international adoption?
4: Well, again, with international adoption, one of the keys is
1: is the parent able to travel. Um
4: if the family uh, struggles with being able to uh, leave their home environment, then that would make it difficult for them to adopt internationally. But if they are able to get around and, um, you know, one of the other issues is that some other countries are not um, friendly to wheelchairs. And so that's something that, that we look at, but we certainly would do what we could uh, and have had families who uh where one of the couple is in a wheelchair that that have been able to adopt um the countries that we work with, if there is uh someone in the couple that that has physical issues, they might be less likely to place a child that they considered um a a healthy child with them um but would be more likely to want to place a child who might have similar issues.
1: Um, a similar special need as to the, as correct, the parent?
4: Correct, correct, although that can change, too. Uh, and unfortunately, the requirements that the countries have seem to be changing all the time.
1: Mm. Yeah, uh, that that is a, that <laughs> is true, <laughs> unfortunately. Rebecca, um, from the countries that uh, that you work with, uh, how are physical disabilities perceived and mm-hmm. and then also from the u s government's perspective and the agency perspective all of them
2: well um you know i I agree that some countries would be much more open than others we We have placed with families uh with physical disabilities uh often in the past. Um one of our families uh where the husband is paraplegic, they went on a safari in Kenya for their honeymoon, so we thought that's a pretty good sign that <laughs> they're not uh facing too many limitations, but' it's they, not in trouble. Uh, sure. yeah yeah they had that they had that one all figured out, so you know every uh temperament is a little different about that issue and how it's handled, so uh we would look at. The support system, you know, uh, what what's the emergency plan if, you know, there's a problem with a disability that requires care. You know, those things we look at for other families as well. But um, I, I agree that especially country, some countries would make it very difficult for a family with a physical limitation to travel. Uh, I just traveled after a... A hip replacement surgery and uh, on a couple of international trips and my goodness if that nothing you know it really brings to awareness you know how many steps there are in all kinds of places and no elevators or escalators so it's um it can really pose some challenges uh travel wise so uh yes, we do it yes uh we look at several factors in the process, and yes, we do look at how the country
1: will interpret that and if we think it'll be a go there specifically we hear a lot about uh, China being quite restrictive Um, and so let me ask you uh, how China uh, would handle and and Rebecca you guys have a China program so Mm -hmm. how would China handle a physical disability uh, deafness blindness uh, or uh, wheelchair bound
2: Well, it's a good question, and I used to direct our China program, but I don't have a pulse on the current status there. So, you know, what we often do, and I'm sure others do as well, with specific cases in specific countries is we get a pre-approval If we have any kind of question about if the country will accept or if they will not, uh, we'll submit the basic, you know, sketch of the family and say, do you think this – family will face a problem in completing an adoption and, and our intermediary, whoever that might be, uh, can, can get the answer for us about that's not going to work or yes, we think that's a go based on the little information you've given us until the full dossier arrives. So uh, that's always a possibility with with many countries, and sure one we use if there are any questions about um, the success of an uh, international adoption plan.
1: Anne, would you uh, recommend that if someone is concerned about a uh, if a pre-adoptive parent is concerned about a mental or a physical health issue, when should they raise it with their adoption agency or an adoption attorney?
3: I would, uh, if they're concerned about it, I would raise it um, even before they've decided who they want to work with. In fact, um, how the um, agency or attorney reacts may, in fact, determine if this is a good match for you or not. Um, Because there's there's no reason you know you don't want to be going down the road and get really committed to it until you know you're sure that this is um an agency that's going to be able to work with your situation or attorney
1: right and you don't want to have spent money um exactly uh, down but, but until you find out because i think sometimes we hear of people who are afraid that these issues will uh will will preclude them from adoption, adopting adopting So they are tempted to not bring it up or try to figure out how this – obviously, if you're in a wheelchair, that's not the issue, so this probably has to do more with mental health issues, but um, trying to hide this information from the social workers – Jacqueline, what would you tell people who are at, thinking about it now, thinking, you know, it would just be easier if I don't admit that I took anti-anxiety drugs two years ago, because I'm off of them now, I'm just fine. Why would I even need to bring that up? It's just opening up a can of worms that I don't need to, to open. I mean, do you have something that you could, how would you tell, what would you say to a person who is considering just not opening that can?
0: It could cost you in the long run, if you're not completely honest, if if you hide something like that and it comes out later, depending on how big it is, it might change your entire home study, and that would cost you more money in the long run. And you're, I mean, it's a mutual relationship between an adoption agency and an adoptive parent, and it doesn't look good if it looks like you lied. And so it's best to just be completely honest and come forward with everything because it sounds like at least the agencies on this call are very open to different things and are going to determine things based on a case-by-case basis. So it's best to just be honest and be forthcoming, and we can work with you.
1: All right. That's good advice. Creating a Family primarily keeps keeps in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletter. Um, we let you know about the latest developments in adoption and infertility, as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topic. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at the left-hand side of any page of creatingafamily.org, dot org, or if you'd prefer, just send us an email and ask us to add you. And you can send the email to info at creatingafamily.org. dot org. Now, before we end, i i want to I want to talk about who really should consider that adoption is not for them. I don't want people to uh, to come away uh, from the show thinking that it really doesn't matter what issues you're facing now i don't think they will because we certainly address some issues um more so perhaps in the international area but as well as domestic but uh let's talk about there are some things that that not only will but probably should uh, rule you out for adopting. Adopting is stressful. Let's be honest, you know. And parenting is stressful. Um, so we 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 want to make certain that the people who are truly capable are adopting. So Rhonda, I'm going to start with you, and, and then I'd like to kind of just let you each have a say on to if you were thinking of, of as specific as you can be, um, who should at least know that they're going to have problems adopting and should go in uh, with their eyes wide open. Rhonda, let's start with you.
4: I think a prospective
1: parent who has ongoing mental or physical
4: issues is going to present a problem in terms of adopting. I I, I think if uh, they're currently experiencing instability in their mental health, and are having trouble finding um, a medication that's effective for them. That this probably is not a good time for them to proceed with adoption. They have to take care of their mental or physical health first. So okay, I think that's that's the key—the stability.
1: All right, Anne. Uh, any thoughts on this one? Um.
3: Well, I I uh, of course Rhonda what what she was saying that Eddie Carr. Current... The other thing that um
1: we're getting a lot of interference here. Okay, that that improved. Okay, let's try it again. Hello? Yeah, I'm not sure um,
2: who that is. Aunt...
3: Our sound guys are working on this right now.
1: Okay, go ahead. Well, one of the other things I
3: wanted to say that families tend to, I mean, this is something that happens with um, all families, is that sometimes their relationship is falling If they're a couple, their relationship is falling apart, and they'll think that adoption is a good idea, just like they think having a baby is a good idea.
1: Boy, that is so true. (laughs) Yeah,
3: and uh, it's not. Just don't go there. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, children add more stress and, and, and not less stress. Uh, our sound guys are not able to distinguish which of the uh, one of you has got some interference going on, and our sound guys are not able at this point to figure out which one it is. And we are at the end of our time uh, as well. So I'm going to uh, go ahead and sum us up here. Um, you have been listening uh, to Creating a Family, and I want to thank Anne Rickson, Jacqueline Smith, Rhonda Jarema, and Rebecca Hackworth so much for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate in a discussion of the topics of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org. We will be talking about uh, the topics the topics we're, we're uh, discussing on this show, and we'd love to have you join us. To get more information, uh, about Ann Rickson and the Independent Adoption Center, you can go to their website, which is adoptionhelp.org. To get more information about Jacqueline Smith or Children's Connection, you can go to their website, which is children'sconnection.org. It's an S on there, I should say that. Children's Connections with an S.org. To get more information, on Rhonda Jerema or on Nightlight or on their their specifically their embryo adoption program snowflakes you could go to one of two websites one nightlight.org and the second one specific to their embryo donation embryo adoption program is snowflakes with an s.org and to get more information about Rebecca Hackworth or, or Dillon International you can go to their website which is dillonadopt.com I thank you so much. Uh, The U.N. estimates that there are 143 million orphans in the world, including 104,000 currently available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system. These kids, as well as the millions of older children throughout the world, deserve a home. To get more information about the U.S. kids waiting for a family, you can go to the Adoption Resource page on our site, creatingafamily.org, where we include links to uh, a number of photo listings of some of these kids. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week.
3: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the...
1: Hey,
0: Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily
3: pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and
0: take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year!